Hey everybody, my name is Justin Murphy and this is the Other Life Podcast, where I talk with indie creators, digital hustlers, and unique internet personalities about how to escape from institutional conformity and succeed on the internet instead. To learn more about the Other Life Project, go to otherlife.co, that's otherlife.co. And if you like what I'm doing, I just have one quick favor to ask. Please go and just leave a review in iTunes. It really helps others find the show, and I'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much, and a big shout out, especially to my patrons. I could not do this without you all. So, thanks. And now, on to the show. All right, everybody. I am here today with Tom Kaczynski. And Tom has a super interesting story and operation that he runs. Tom is basically a cross between a philosopher and an illustrator. He does philosophy heavy comics, essentially. He runs an operation called Uncivilized Books. And I've been dying to learn more about how Tom built this operation what he's up to, his substantive ideas on philosophy, and how he sees the intersection of philosophy and and the graphic arts. So I've been looking forward to having this conversation with Tom for quite some time. I think I initially met Tom through Indie Thinkers, actually. And I don't know half of the things I would like to know about how Tom has built a very interesting project on the internet over time and quite independently. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Tom, thanks for coming on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on here. Absolutely. Would you mind just giving the audience a brief little rundown on just who you are and your story or background? Sure. Uh, yeah. So my name is Tom Kaczynski, Tom K. Sometimes I sign my name that way. And I'm a cartoonist, publisher, and I also teach. And I'm also an immigrant. I came, I was born in communist Poland and uh, built this thing called Uncivilized Books over the last 10 years or so, which is a small press, uh, comics press that publishes kind of indie literary independent, sometimes philosophical comics. And uh, I also teach comics at the college level. And uh, and I'm also a cartoonist myself, so I, I make my own comics. And I've had a, a few things published. Fanographics, which is a kind of, I don't know how much your audience knows about comics, but pretty big um, North American publisher of comics. Published my book called Beta Testing the Apocalypse a few years ago. I'm working on a second edition that's going to come out uh, next year. And uh, myself, I've published tons of DIY homemade mini comics, and also professionally printed self-published comics and just a whole slew of things in various anthologies and, and places. My work's been translated into a number of languages, French, Polish, and Albanian of all things. And uh, yeah, it's been it's everything. There's, you know, what else have I done? I kind of also went through a weird phase in advertising back uh, in the 90s. I, I was on the internet pretty early um, mm. from the mid-90s onwards. I went through the whole dot-com mill and I came out on the other end doing doing more sort of independent things instead of working for giant advertising corporations. Yeah, I've done, yeah, I've done a lot of different things. Cycle back between drawing comics, publishing, teaching, and doing a little bit of uh, freelance design work. Awesome. That's a fascinating story. So you basically have done a pretty good job for yourself over time, building a variety of income streams that allow you to more or less be a financially self-sustaining independent artist with an interesting operation on the internet. And so this is something that so many people right now are super interested in figuring out. And that's one of the most common interests, I think, for people in indie thinkers. That's something we're all working on and trying to learn from each other about how to build these operations and succeed to the maximum. So I would love to start by just talking a little bit about your operation and the logistics and all that. I think later we'll move on to talk about your substantive philosophy ideas and, and, and your ideas around philosophy and comics. But just to start, give us a sense of, you mentioned a few different things. You seem to have a system where you do a few different things, as many kind of creative people have a similar system. It's usually multiple income streams combined in some kind of interesting way. Give us a snapshot, if you will, of roughly how much money is coming in from these different types of operations or maybe percentages or portions of sure. how your operation works. Sure. So the, the the largest money maker is Uncivilized Books, although it's, it's like in, in terms of gross, it's a lot of money, but it's also a lot of money out in terms of you have to pay for printing bills, pay royalties, to artists and various other sort of costs that are related to that. But overall, it's like the sort of the largest income sort of generator, even though I don't always see a lot of that income to myself. 
Um, it depends. There's ebbs and flows in publishing. You've got a good year. Sometimes you don't have as good of a year. Mm. And then uh, teaching, I just do sort of one class per semester. And uh, that's like basically money that kind of pays the bills. My my sort of, the my bills are pretty low. Like I, I live in a fairly kind of inexpensive life. So Where do you live have, now? Uh, I live in Minneapolis. Yeah, me and my my partner, my girlfriend, bought a house in the in during the the mortgage crisis. <laughs> so it was actually it's something I never thought I would do, you know, prior to buying the house. But like during the mortgage crisis, things were like so cheap all of a sudden that, and we had been saving money. I'd lived in New York before, so when when we were in New York, we we were trying to save money for something, but it was always out of reach. Then when we went back to to Minneapolis, all of a sudden it became cheap and easy, or not. not not easy necessarily, but a lot cheaper mm-hmm. and um, a lot more attainable okay. to own a small house. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And and other income streams, I do take on like occasional freelance work. So I'll do, you know, like lo- some logo designs or I used to do a lot of freelance um, work for, for advertising companies, my old contacts from my advertising days. But that's mostly, I, I don't do that work anymore. Just mostly focusing on comics, publishing and, and teaching. Those are the main ones. And I do a little bit of writing too. I've started doing more of that over the last couple of years. It's not a huge income stream, but it's really fun and, and something that I, I want to do a little bit more of too. Okay. Interesting. And what do you teach? What What is the name of the class? Is it illustration or what exactly? I just teach comics publishing. <laughs> oh, really? Wait. So tell me more about that. So is it at what, what college is it and sure. what types of students are you teaching and what are you teaching them exactly? Yeah. Yeah. I, so there is a College here called MCAD, Minneapolis College of Art and Design, and they have a comics program. And so they're essentially teaching the the kids how to make comics. And and one of the classes is my class, which is a publishing class. So I teach them some basics of like how to put the books together, some kind of basic self-publishing kind of things, but also mm. just generally about the comics industry, how all that stuff works, how to deal with agents, contracts, and that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, and then I also teach at University of Minnesota one class, and that, that's more that's more like an art class where I just teach comics and zines, and it's mostly hands on how to make your own comics for for a very different audience. So the MCAT audience is very much all those kids want to become cartoonists, want to be comics artists, whereas at at U uh, it's mostly kind of a grab bag of liberal arts students who are just like interested in comics and zines and want to check them out. So it's a very that's, different kind of vibe. That's fascinating. How does it work teach getting teaching gigs? at colleges for artists? Because I know it's a little bit different than in some of the other disciplines. Like typically uh, a teacher such as yourself will not have a PhD or not even necessarily a master's degree. So how do, if, yeah. if you're an artist and you're, you're genuinely skilled in something like comics, how do you even go about uh, getting a, a teaching gig at a college? Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> How did it work? I can tell you my story, but I don't know. It's like it, com- comics is a kind of a unique field that until very recently, there was no, there were no degrees in comics. There was no masters of comics. There was no PhDs in comics. There was none of that existed until very recently. So this whole like comics as a discipline that you teach in colleges is very young. And when I moved back to Minneapolis, I just happened to literally just, I lived just blocks away from MCAD and I just met some of the people around the school who were teachers and I knew that they had a comics program and I just telegraphed, hey, I'm interested in teaching if there's a very new opening. I'm not, I'm not interested in the full-time position. I'm just interested in doing adjunct work. And when something opened up, I just started doing it and I've been kind of doing it for over 10 years, just like doing one class a semester. Occasionally, I'll take an extra class if something opens up and they really want me on it, but mostly I keep it down to one class because I just honestly don't have time for more than one class. Okay, um, gotcha. Yeah. So yeah, so I don't have a master's. I have an undergrad uh, degree, a double major in art and architecture, but I don't have any sort of higher degrees and, and very few comics professors do. Although that's slowly changing now because there have been a rash of you know, PhD, not PhDs, but at least MAs, Masters of Arts that have been coming out and they tend to get the newer sort of teaching or full-time positions. But, uh, but yeah, comics is just an odd field where it's still a little bit of a no man's land. So is that maybe a good thing for people who are extra willing to stick their neck out and try to finagle these types of things? If you're a talented graphics artist of some kind and you uh, don't mind wheeling and dealing and trying to see what come up, comes up you, you think is this a is this something other people can do just look at local colleges see what's available talk to people you might be able to come up with something or is it not that easy 
Possibly. I honestly don't know. It probably depends on where you live and what kind of situation there is in terms of, right. so it's difficult to know. There are not that many of these programs out there. I know that comics mm. classes are popular, at least in this school and in some other schools. So it's possible that you could uh, talk to a local community college or something like that and talk them into creating uh, you know, a course around this. I, I honestly don't know, but um, sure. um, it is, but it is, it is a it is, like I said, it's a little bit of a Wild West, but that still on some level, even though it's becoming a little bit more formalized and cer- certified and et cetera. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, I generally find that areas that are Wild West areas or domains tend to lend themselves to people who are willing to stick their neck out and try to be a mover and shaker. You're more likely to come up with something interesting or maybe create some kind of position for yourself just by navigating confidently in these kind of wild west domains so that's why i was asking but that's okay that you're not terribly sure uh, either way that's fine so that's your main source of income or rather it's your stable kind of bread and butter base right, income right, right and right. but you would say most of your time goes to uncivilized books yeah for sure that's uh that's, and again it, it, go, it depends on from year to year but it's we've we could have established a little bit a little bit of a kind of cadence of roughly five to eight books a year that we publish. So it's, that's graphic novels um, and comics. And, and there's there's uh, d- different distribution channels that those things go into. It's a, almost like a full time job managing you know the printing, the the publicity, the all the artwork, the the production of all these things. And and then on top of that, I, I draw my own stuff too. So mm-hmm. it's, it's I'm kind of I'm a little bit of a workaholic. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, it's uh, you know it's it, and again, but it, it, every year like it depends. Some years I don't have as many books, partly because uncivilized books is not just. I don't think of it as just an income stream, but also as a, a little bit of a, an intellectual exercise in comics. I, I I think about the comics that don't exist in the market, and and those are the comics that I'm interested in publishing. So it's not always like a financial winner to publish that comic, uh, but it's but at least I try to at least make it so that I break even on the project and, and have like income to continue the project um, into the future. Okay. And so is it just you or do you have full-time employees or contractors or how does that work? Uh, mostly contractors and interns. Right now, it's just me just because of the, the whole corona pandemic. <laughs> I've had to cr- close my outside, the office that I had outside my home. A couple of the distributors had closed for a couple of months. And just like income is just way down, especially with so many bookstores being closed, etc. Some slack was picked up by online sales and things like that, but definitely contracted a lot this year um, because of the virus. But but other years I've had part-time publicity pub- publicity people, part-time production people, um, multiple interns, etc. So again, it depends on the year and how things are things are going. It's definitely it's a little bit of an un- unstable market. Comics is just because of a number of factors, but I don't want to necessarily bore you with distribution woes and and things like that that have been happening in comics over the last 20 years or so but it's up and down and i'm also i'm in a very kind of niche part of the comics world the best-selling things are your superhero comics or or kind of ya or children's comics on the book side and i'm in a kind of odd category of literary independent stuff that sometimes finds an audience sometimes doesn't okay and now of all of the different activities that are required to bring a book to market which of those activities do you do and which of those activities do contractors do? I can do every one of those activities. <laughs> so it's just basically okay, and- if I have, if, mm-hmm. if it's a good year and I've have extra money, I'll hire people to help me do things that I'm maybe less interested in doing. You know what I mean? But I have years where I do everything. I'm, I can, I can, I'm like a whiz with InDesign and, and uh, Photoshop, the whole like Adobe suite. So I can do all that work uh, pretty easily. I, I've been a designer professionally for over 30 years now. And, and when I started the business, it was, I started it by myself. Basically I've had to do publicity the first you know few years by myself anyway so i, I basically know like the, the business up and down i know i know how to do all of those pieces and then when i have a better year i tend to i'll hire someone to to help me out mostly for time constraints rather than not being able to do that work okay interesting gotcha so you're you have to just play it by ear and be flexible and deciding who does what yeah yeah <laughs> i don't want to i don't want to pry too deeply or anything into your personal finances or anything like that but i'm just curious <laughs> if, if you could maybe give us just some ranges perhaps or or something to to fill in our mental picture of the operation, like in terms of how many, how many books are you selling on average? Are you, it sounds like some books do well, some books don't do so well, but on average, I'm assuming you you have a profitable operation. You wouldn't be able, you wouldn't be able to do it that long if it wasn't basically tending to be profitable, right? 
Yeah, correct. Yeah, so we have, again, there's books that do better than others. On the high end, we'll sell anywhere from five to six to 7,000 copies of something. This is not necessarily in, in one go, so it's over a period of time. That's good, though. Yeah, yeah, those are pretty respectable numbers. Um, but then we have books that I'll print 2,000 copies and we have a hard time getting rid of 1,000. So it really depends on the project. And the way, again, because the publicate this, this, Uncivilized books thing is it's a little bit of it's a little bit of a labor of love intellectual project for me for comics. Mm -hmm. It's I definitely take on books that I know are going to be a a little bit of a difficult sell, even though, but but I think need to exist in the world. So I'll sometimes it'll be a little bit of a trade off in my mind, and uh, so it's yeah, it's not always. Yeah, it's not always great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, get, I, I totally know what you're talking about. But your wife has allowed you to do this for quite some time. So I'm sure you're making it work, uh, at least defensively. Yes. <laughs> and on some level, for real artists and real thinkers, that is ultimately the name of the game. It's like the matter. The question is not how to become a multimillionaire through this kind of stuff. But for most people, the real question is the most important question is just how can I create systems that allow me to do this sustainably over time to right, achieve right. The, the substantive goals that I that I believe in, whether that be books or other types of work. And so on that front, you're definitely succeeding. And you're quite an interesting example in that regard. Do you think for people out there who are artists, especially graphic artists, who have interests in this type of career path. Are there particular kind of lessons you've learned along the way that you see other kind of aspiring comics artists to be particularly likely to to neglect? Like what are the lessons you've learned that people are least likely to appreciate? Comics are a difficult business. You have to love to do it. It's a lot of being alone at home, sitting at your table and drawing uh, for hours on end. One of the things is definitely don't neglect your physical health. (laughs) There's a lot of, uh, a lot of cartoonists have back problems, arm problems, like all kinds of issues from the kind of repetitive motion injury. That's something to to just be aware of almost right away from the get-go when you start is don't neglect that at all because it's not going to be a sustainable thing for you. And then the other thing is you just have to, you just have to put in the work. Like it's a lot of, it is a, it's a lonely writer in a way is a similar kind of thing. You just sit alone a lot, think and write, and you just have to show up for it every day. And it's the same with comics. Most people that go into comics are already fans of comics. So they, from, from, from a young age, they know what needs to happen for, for that reason and there's a lot of people that are interested in comics but they make better money doing illustration or storyboarding for for animation or something like that comics isn't always the most profitable kind of place to be and it is a lot of work so i I warn people sometimes because it's like it's a lot of work and it's not always unless you love the medium love what you can do with it it's not always the most the most wonderful place to be (laughs) but sure but i think it's a really interesting medium personally i think it's an amazing medium and i think it has a lot of potential and i think everybody should at least try it and uh, and should be well versed in the graphic language which i think can add a lot of dimension to other things that you you do whether that's philosophy whether that's whatever discipline you're in yeah that's really interesting i'm, I'm going to ask you to unpack that for sure in in a minute i think be, before maybe we move on to those topics what I would love to hear just a little bit more on is how you see the current frontier of publishing. And you've been doing civilized books for, I'm sorry, uncivilized books for quite some time. When did you start it again? I started in uh, 2011, like seriously at 2011. But before that, I did it for a few years, probably another five or six years as a DIY project, handmade pamphlets for my own work, but also for some other artists. So it had a phase of about five years, probably, where it was very DIY, I guess is the best best term for that. Just making the, the stuff on Xerox machines and, and hand stapling, things like that. And then in 2011 is where it shifted into a more into a quote real publisher with hardcover books and distribution that's we have distribution in North America and in internationally as well and so that's since 2011 is when it became a real thing okay cool more than 10 years you've been working on this in one yeah. way or another and building it since then so i'm curious as you look out in the world now and the different options that people have for publishing different types of work if you were a young man starting out uncivilized books now today, do you think you would do certain things differently or how do you see that? 
Yeah, that's a good question. Because yeah. oh, wait, so real quick, we should tell people. So you run Uncivilized Books as it's a pretty traditional kind of e-commerce store. Is that right? Like you go to Uncivilized Books and you have different authors and you have different books and you can place an order for books and then you will receive a shipment. I actually received my shipment a few days ago. And that's the model. I presume you also sell packages or wholesale to some degree to stores or what? Maybe unpack that first and then we can talk about how sure. things are uh, looking a little different today in the digital frontier. Yeah. No, I'm a, I'm a traditional trade publisher. So I actually, most of the books I sell are through bookstores. I do have a website. Okay. We do sell online and you, you can get, you can whatever, get your package ordered, your comics ordered that way. But that's not the, the largest part of the business. The largest part of the business is the, the sort of the distribution business. So we work with Ingram, which is like a huge distributor. Okay. And we have to present our books a couple times a year to them. Here's here's a two, three, four titles that we're going to have this season and present it to their reps. And those reps go out to bookstores all around the country and sell sell those books to bookstores. We also do the same. We present these books to like Publishers Weekly, all the sort of pre-trade, big book trade publications. And they'll re- write reviews of these things. I also go to library conferences and, and try to sell the books to libraries. And so I'm very much like a traditional publisher in that sense, a very small one, but I do all the kind of the things that a traditional publisher would do. On top of that, we also work with Diamond, which is a comic specific distributor that all the comic book stores in the country are basically, it's a monopoly on comics. And we sell the anything that doesn't have a spine. So anything floppy. So like the cartoon dialectics comics I sent you, those would be mm-hmm. going through the Diamond distributor to comic book stores. And that's a whole kind of another kind of distribution business and then beyond that gotcha. it's is the web store um where we sell directly and and on that we also do a lot of festivals obviously not this year because all the festivals got shut down this year but there is a, there's like a circuit of comics festivals there are book festivals there's there's a ton of those you go there set up as a publisher sometimes your authors are invited to, to sign books or whatever so you go there and you sell directly to the public that way so it's those are the three major streams is like the book trade the comics trade and the actually there's four streams sorry and the, the web store and then the festivals that kind of all okay. com- combines into an income. <laughs> all right, amazing. I'm, I'm glad we went over that because it really fills out the picture of the operation. Okay, yeah, you must be a workaholic because you're doing all this stuff. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds crazy. That sounds like so much stuff to manage. In my operations, I've just tried to make everything as fully digital as possible and, and anything that's not automated on the internet. I just try to outsource to like other third-party services, whether it be like having Amazon do all the, the paperback Uh, printing and all of that. Yeah, I'm curious as someone who's been building this operation for some time, and you've seen so many changes in technology and publishing culture. I'm curious how you see the how you see this now and moving forward, like if you were starting from scratch, would you do things differently? How would you do things? I definitely would do things a little bit more on the digital end, probably a lot more on the digital end. Basically, like when I started on the internet back in the 90s, I went through the whole crazy dot com mill, et cetera. And like in the early two thousands, I was like done with the internet. Like I was so like <laughs> chewed up by by that whole I was just like I was constantly online, building websites all the time, et cetera. And by the time like Facebook came around, I was just like, I don't even want to, I'm done. Like I'm done with all this. So when I, so comics in a way for me, stepping away from the internet and kind of thinking more about print, I'm thinking more about less screen time kind of operation when I started out. And, and comics are an unusual, an unusual sector of the publishing world where that hasn't collapsed to the same degree as the, the traditional prose based publishing world where maybe more than half of that business has gone to to ebooks whereas in comics still most of the money is in the physical object that uh, makes sense because people really value that uh, tangible experience when it comes to graphics and comics yeah exactly exactly so comics were for me was getting back to something that i really loved to do since i was a kid and then also working a little bit less online. And but as an operation, as there's so many different new options today. You know, with with between Kickstarter, between Patreon, between all the various platforms out there, there's there are a bunch of new publishers that that are more that are much more tuned into that world. They're digital, digitally native, and they've been able to use 
uh, those platforms to create projects, but then also parlay that into sort of a more traditional business as well. Because the traditional business with comics is still very strong, so it's hard to give that up. And the other thing that you know I'm interested in, and this is more specific to comics, less more less general maybe. Comics don't have very many institutions. The mm-hmm. art world has tons of grants and museums and all kinds of things that exist that the artists can get tied into. Comics don't have that. And there's a, I feel like there's there's not enough kind of institutions that, that write about comics, that, that talk about comics and, and the interesting things that comics can do. So I would, if I was doing something these days, I would probably try, and, and this is something I may do anyway is create a place or a space online for that kind of for that kind of more in-depth thinking about comics and specific kinds of comics that i'm interested in of course but but yes i i would definitely think you could build something that's a lot more digital that's a lot more automated and that's something i'm doing these days is trying to automate some of the things that i've been not automating before just the, the whole ordering process i moved to a new platform that's gotten a lot more streamlined i am we used to do it we used to do a lot of the shipping and receiving in-house and that's slowly being moved into into like a fulfillment service etc so there's there's a lot of there's a lot of things that you can do cool okay that that's yeah that's interesting for sure so you have an interesting idea when it comes to philosophy and comics your comics are like comics i've never really seen before i'm, I'm not very deep in the comics world at all I'm, I, d- I don't have too much familiarity with it but you your comics are deeply and explicitly philosophical. And when I say philosophical, I don't mean they just deal with interesting, big, abstract themes. You actually use technical philosophy terms and stuff like that. So I believe from a previous conversation, I remember you saying something to the effect that you think that comics are actually a kind of ideal medium for expressing philosophical ideas. I would love for you to unpack that idea a little bit and and tell us how you see that. Sure, that might be a long conversation, but well, um, I got plenty of time, Tom. <laughs> so comics are, you know, images and words, right? So you have two things that that are always connected together on the page, and the other thing that comics have is is a sequential mapping that is happening. All the panels are mapped in essentially map t- time and space on a page, and I think that's interesting, <laughs> and I think that's and I think that's important in a weird way like i so i have this weird idea right now i'm thinking about sort of Im- words language and philosophy as and this is going to sound weird it's as in like an acid <laughs> it's like it's it's something that dissolves things so it's, it's deconstructive it's it, it unpacks things it, it deconstructs things and then images and anything that you build so so images architecture sculpture whatever you can want to think and like artifacts that are not linguistic are the coagula. So if you think of this alchemically, you get solvent at coagula, which is something that's, that dissolves and something that builds. So those two elements together, I think are really important in philosophy because without that second element, the, the element of building, philosophy is always a deconstruction of things. If you think about the the, the classic Marx line of, of philosophy, the, the point is to change things instead of just... Interpreting. Philosoph- philosophers interpret- have only interpreted the world. The point is to change it exactly exactly then without that sort of secondary element philosophy is always just interpreting that's so so that's my Mm. thesis here and so i think and i think comics as a medium sort of has it built into it so because it has this image making quality so when you're when you're creating a world in comics you have to you have to visualize it you have to create you have to literally almost like physically manifest it and then the, the words the the sort of the concepts have something to hang on to something that is that that they can undermine or they can explain or they can interpret or whatever but those things um kind of work in a in tangent and um and reinforce each other or undermine each other but either way it's like it, it builds something new instead of being something that is always deconstructing or interpreting okay that makes sense to me i, I can see where you're going with that also there's this idea that a lot of philosophy is intrinsically skeptical or deconstructive. People make the case that at the end of the day, it is possible that philosophy can only really diffuse or dismantle falsehoods or something like that. It's the Socratic tradition. And yeah, in that way, philosophy is acidic, as you said. And I see what you're thinking about how putting it into a graphic form adds a new layer that is intrinsically constructive and builds out a positive world from what is otherwise possibly a primarily deconstructive force. 
Exactly. And, and and the other thing that, you know, that I that comics have, and, and this kind of goes back to the idea of time and space, because everything in comics is, has to be placed in a specific position, specific place. So the idea of, of things being spatially contiguous next to each other is really important. And I think and I think the mind works that way. So this recently there was there was a lot of experiments done on how humans position themselves in the world. And by position, I just mean like literally like the, the the GPS of the brain, the positioning system. When we do have essentially a, a portion of the brain, it essentially creates a kind of internal GPS system, and the GPS system doesn't just act as as a map of the territory, but also is also used conceptually. So when we when you think about the classic classification systems, you get your animals, and then you've got like a, a subclass like horses, and then there's a specific kind of horse, and then you get down to the specific horse. That kind of works in your mind. That kind of works in a sort of GPS sort of way, <laughs> like you're almost like zooming in on a map. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, which I think is interesting, and I think again, like having a visual medium that can um, play with time and space and play with concepts, not just as concepts that are related somehow abstractly, but also concepts that are literally like next to each other physically can be like an interesting way to think about stuff that maybe isn't done very often. Yeah. I don't know if, are, are, are you familiar very much with Deleuze by any chance? I am actually, yeah. <laughs> he, he and Guattari have this idea of uh, conceptual personae. I think that's very interesting. And in, in their book, What is Philosophy? They talk about how all philosophies have these kind of implicit characters or what they call personae. That definitely lends itself to what you're saying. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, what's the, I don't know if you ever read Delanda. I'm familiar with him, but I actually have not read his book, unfortunately. Yeah. So Delanda kind of builds on Deleuze and, and he is, he's by training an architect. So he thinks about things very spatially and, and very much in terms of objects within objects, things that are nested. He also talks a lot about emergence and, and, th- and concepts like that. And he's he takes uh, the Deleuzean system and kind of builds this assemblage system of met- metaphysics out of that. And I think it's interesting because he, again, he, he has... Um, has a kind of a spatial mind and creates all these objects in a very spatial way. And I think that's, there's something that is really powerful in thinking that way. And it's and something that, again, that is like how our brains work. And I think sometimes these concepts can be very, it's almost like they're intuitive. Once you can, once they click spatially, they also click conceptually. You know what I mean? Um, For sure. Yeah. Do you have other, who are your other favorite philosophers or are there particular kind of schools of thought you most identify with? I'm pretty heterodox when it comes to that stuff. I read all over the place. I tend to read more, I tend to read, I'm tend to read more looking for those kind of spatial metaphors rather than a specific school of thought. So obviously Deleuze is one I've read, I've been reading a lot over my long, long life. I've been looking at Nietzsche lately. I've you know, been reading Sloterdijk, Baudrillard in terms of in terms of more the sort of the virtual uh, stuff. Bataille, I, I was interested in your Bataille thing, but I never had the time to participate. And one person I'm also interested in is Reza Nagarastani and, and more less about partly on the spatial front. I don't know if you read Cyclonopedia. I haven't. But that's it's an interesting kind of almost like topographical study of the Middle East and uh, like the and, and the oil <laughs> that's underneath it. And it goes back in time all the way to back to the Sumerians and the Babylonians and pushes forward into the the Iraq wars. But it's really interesting and, and has a lot of that kind of kind of uh, spatial analysis of these things, but then also pushes things back for back and forth in time. It's like an interesting kind of philosophical fiction, and that's that's what I'm going for with the comics. It's that kind of vibe, that kind of philosophical. I, I kind of like to accrue a lot of elements together and jam them together into and and and, and see what happens to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very cool, very cool. And how do you think about how do you think about planning future projects or recruiting talent, and both as a creator but also as a publisher? How do you think about the next books that should be published at the intersection of philosophy and comics? This could be interesting for people out there listening who are maybe interested in some intersection between philosophy and comics, but also maybe for people who are writers themselves or potentially publishers themselves. Is there, I'm just curious if you have any heuristics or frameworks for 
how you think about like what types of work you want to publish or that you think should be published or what's most interesting to you, whether that's just for personal reasons or for you think there's a, a, a really big market coming up for something, or I'm just curious if you have anything on that question. Yeah, I'm pretty, again, I'm pretty heterodox when it comes to this stuff. I published more memoir type comics, slice of life stuff, but I also published some, you know, science fictional things. There's a couple of books that I published that were more explicitly philosophical or theoretical. Basically, really any of that I'm interested in most, mo the thing that's rarest in comics is the, the sort of the philosophical philosophy slash comics in intersection. And that's what I always look for. And that's something that's harder to find just again, because comics just aren't typically used in that, in that, in that way. There's a few kind of interesting examples out there, but, but they're not, they're pretty rare. So I tend to also focus on more kind of like abstract, weirder comics, more almost like you could call it arty farty comics, <laughs> <laughs> but that do, you know, that sort of play with the language of comics, even though it's not explicitly philosophical. So, you know, right, well, yeah, right. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, just for the audience, why don't why don't you give them an example like cartoon dialectics, for instance, which is one of the items that I bought from you recently, and which I just recently received in the mail. It's really quite it's quite out there, I would say. It's interesting for sure, but it's quite as you were just saying. I think like pretty far out. It talks about apocalypse and eschatology and death. And how would you, for someone listening who doesn't have it in front of them, of course they can go ahead and look it up, and they should. But how do you? summarize or describe this like style of philosophical comics in terms of the content to help people understand that sure yeah that's that's difficult it's difficult to describe and i'm still struggling with it myself on some level um, one term that i've been using recently and trying out is a mutant memoir <laughs> partly hmm. because partly because the sort of the genesis of that comic is in memoir it was an autobiographical story that sort of started to go into th these different fields so some of the characters in the comics that you saw are actually like versions of, of me that have become like these fictional versions of me that are running around this fictional world that I've created. And uh, but basically, the, the, the idea of the comic as it has developed is a travelogue through, through the world of ideas. And it mm. very literally, like I've essentially trying to make real places for some of the ideas. So the characters go to these real places things happen there and then they go to other places. I think about it a little bit like Voltaire's Candide, which is also a travelogue where these Candide and, and the crew go all around the world encountering situations and societies that are maybe strange and unusual to them. And at some point they end up somewhere and can make some kind of assessment of the world. <laughs> so, uh, right. so this is kind of a, almost like ar archipelagos of ideas or something like that, where, where and, but made very literal in comics where, where the characters can actually enter these worlds and and and, and interact with them and the, the main character is myself but again um, becomes sort of becomes a split personality that sort of uh ends up all over the place uh in different forms and different different personalities okay yeah that's a good way to describe it i think now do you sit down with the kind of philosophical concepts in mind first and then you're like okay how can i illustrate these or do you start more with images in your mind and then you try to excavate the kind of philosophical implications. How, how do you actually go push through the process of developing the work? I think this might be interesting to people who maybe are interested in doing their own comics uh, with a kind of philosophical sophistication. Sure. It goes both ways. I do have a sketchbook, so I draw in it a lot. Right now I'm reading through Nietzsche's Genealogy of Morals. So when I read books like that, the more classic works of philosophy, a lot of times I'll have the sketchbook with me and I'll just sketch some 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 something comes out of the reading some visual pops into my head and i'll start sketching that stuff and sometimes it's just like literally stick figures in a situation or something like that that i try to explicate and that that can become sort of the basis of something bigger eventually again i can sometimes i do try to do every day kind of a writing session where i just write for a little bit i usually try to hit at least a thousand words a day and uh, and then as i write a lot of times images will pop up so i'll try to capture them in, in words but eventually i'm definitely I would, I'm interested in drawing them eventually. So it goes both ways. I do have, I have created like a sort of a grid template for myself, six panel grid that when I'm writing the Transterra comic, which is, which is what's being serialized in cartoon dialectics, I, I write directly in panels. So I start drawing situations and then start writing like those two things reinforce each other for me. A lot of times, a lot of the thinking is done 
visually first, like I'll have a, I'll have sort of a notion like, oh, this character walks from point A to point B, but I don't necessarily know what that character is saying or what that character is thinking. As I draw this, it becomes clear that that character is walking through this particular space. And then whatever happened before can really affect the, the, the dialogue uh, on that page. So it's, it's definitely kind of a push and pull between the visual and the, and, and, and the verbal. Right. Fascinating. One question that I was just thinking about is, do you find that the whole kind of meme culture has that trickled over into the comics world at all? I feel I, I'm not really very adjacent to the comics world, so I don't really know personally, but I have a sense that the kind of graphic revolution that meme culture is has managed to make its way over surprisingly little into actual comics. Like you see on the internet, all these like Pepe the Frog, but it's I, I don't really see like a comic book of Pepe the Frog, but why isn't there one, right? There, you'd think there would be. Do you have any observations on that? the membrane between kind of digital meme culture and the comics world what's going on there if uh, anything well pepe came was literally stolen from the comics world <laughs> oh is that right so i'm totally naive so tell me that story that's interesting so matt fury is this cartoonist and he had this um comic called and i'm blanking on the title now but it had all these like, kind of animal anthropomorphized characters with animal heads i mean and uh, there was a character that had the frog and that's literally pepe that's like the, the template for pepe the visual template um, but the character is very like chill the stoner um character so it has nothing none, nothing to do with kind of what what you know what pepe was turned into on online Okay, yeah, I'm looking at it. I see it on Wikipedia now. Yeah, okay, I'm totally naive about this. But do you see movements in the opposite direction? The internet is such a brilliant generator of this yeah. uh, rather, it's all, sometimes quite extraordinary kind of visual cultures. I, there must be an opportunity for people to turn sure. that stuff into interesting print work in the more trade sectors. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and I'm sure I, I know there are artists that have that come up through the internet. The meme, the meme world feels it's really interesting. It's really fascinating, and it's an incredible kind of machine of turning uh, images into into these sort of these cultural artifacts. And I haven't. I feel like the memes have, in in a way, re replaced the sort of the political cartoon. <laughs> mm. Like every newspaper used to have a bunch of political cartoons, and and a lot of newspapers are getting rid of them, partly because they get controversial or something. I think the New York Times, not too long ago, like literally got rid of all their all their editorial cartoons because they they got too many complaints about various political sort of fallout from them. So I, f I feel like memes have really filled that niche and, and, and really built on it and, and created, you know, this whole sort of new language for, for that stuff. Because again, a lot of memes are, there's a lot of very cultural memes, but there's also a lot of political memes and, and they evolve over time. And I don't know in terms of publishing, like turning that into publishing. I don't know. I don't know who makes the memes. <laughs> I don't know if they, if this is something they would want to do. I don't know if, they, and, and again, even if you create the first meme, like someone takes that and changes, changes it into something else. Also, a lot of the images can be very low resolution, very low quality. I don't know how that you know translates to printing. Yeah. You know? I'm sure yeah. somebody's done something like this. It must have. I'm, I'm sure there's tons of t-shirts with memes on them. But I don't, I don't know. I don't know that world that well. I definitely think there's some opportunities there. I'm interested in comics as a kind of, as a kind of literary, you know, form of thinking something that's more long form than these right. bits and pieces of, of quick, sort of quick information about whatever. For sure. For sure. So that's actually an interesting alternative question then. Why do you think we don't see more migration from the highbrow long form philosophy world into the comics world my sense is there are not too many people out there doing what you're doing and it's an interesting question as to why do you have a sense of why do you talk with have you tried to or i don't, I don't know i'm just wondering if i'm like slavoj zizek or something like that mm -hmm. i would probably be like quite keen to let someone turn some of my ideas into a comic book but i feel like you don't see that as much as you might expect to or what do you see on that front and or what why do you think well, that might be? You do. There is quite a bit of that. It's it's what's there's quite a bit of that in in a sense that comics are used as a kind of as a almost like a way to. It's almost like you don't want to read this difficult Zizek book, so read this comic book. They're used as like a philosophy for dummies in that kind of way. There's definitely yeah, I, there's a bunch of those out there. I think this one I haven't seen yet. But what's his name? The the guy that wrote Sapiens. He's Harari. Yeah, right? yeah. He 
the comic book version of that book just came out recently and i'm curious to see what that is because apparently the artist pitched it to him and and did some sounds like pretty interesting stuff so i i would like to see i haven't had a chance to see that but there's definitely interesting things bubble up every now and then there is there's a cartoonist nick susanis who's done a book called unflattening that was out from mit press and he's like a phd philosophy guy that that did his Mm. own comic and it's it's pretty interesting and uh, and there's a few kind of bits and pieces here and there it's not it, again it, it's, it can be difficult in the sense that you have to have both a visual skill and a, an analytical skill <laughs> uh, and that's rare and also just the co- comics take a lot longer Zizha can write a lot of stuff pretty quickly and he's very prolific if you know if the philosopher had to also draw it would take a lot longer so it's, it's definitely the, the the time the production time is is very different and yeah so you're more interested in finding a way that true original philosophical thought can take place in comic books not so much a kind of setup where these kind of highbrow philosophers make philosophy for dummies through comic books and also not migrating kind of cheap internet visuals into something more sophisticated in the form of a book but really that's the sweet spot you're really passionate about is uh, trying to actually allow philosophical thought to truly take place in the comic book itself. Exactly. Yes. And, and I know that this is an uphill battle. <laughs> a little bit of Sisyphean labor there. But but yeah, but I, I do think there's some there's interesting uh, possibilities. And and a little bit of that work is out there. I, I don't think everybody's going to jump on this. And I don't think this is like necessarily the, the next uh, evolution of human communication or whatever. But who knows? <laughs> I almost think that I have this, I do have, I've this, got these like almost comic supremacist <laughs> views in the sense <laughs> that like comics are superior in so many different ways. But I do think that comics are almost like the perfect literature for this very kind of media saturated world that mm. they they have both visuals and and images and but they also but they're also slow the way books are they're not they're not bombarding you with images the way movies tv and all the other screens do and i think there's an important place for that and comics i think have an interesting place potentially in the sort of the media landscape of the future and i do think that Having something that kind of pulls you away from the screen for a while is good, whether that's a book, whether that's a comic book, whether that's, you know, a walk in the in the woods, I think is always uh, a nice thing. I'm not, um, I'm definitely not one of those people that wants to merge with the machine. So, so <laughs> that's, comics are a nice thing to get away from the screen. I, I don't draw digitally. I draw traditionally with ink on paper, although the final production always has, but happens in the computer. And it's it's a it's an interesting medium and a kind of odd intersection of our culture right now. Absolutely, I absolutely love your your operation and what you've built over such a long period of time with so much patience and hard work. And I just think you're a really impressive kind of paradigmatic example of the the the, the true indie thinker, really, who builds their own systems and works as hard as it takes over a very long period of time to just make things work in a way where you have complete independence to work on a really quite unique and exceptional artistic and intellectual vision that you believe in and might not be super profitable, but you're able to make it work through dedication and through just being clever and hustling and staying true to your vision and just working on it and not capitulating, not giving up. And I'd love that. I'm, I'm really impressed by what you built. The books that I got in the mail are absolutely beautiful. I only just started the one. You were kind enough to add to my order a, a few others. So I look forward to getting through all of them. I only just started Cartoon Dialectics, but they're absolutely beautiful. Your labor of love, I think, is uh, truly a pretty impressive achievement. And I think it's a no-brainer for anyone out there who, if you're at all interested in comics or graphic novels, and you have a philosophical bent, I think the books you can find at Uncivilized Books are an absolute no-brainer. So go check them out. Do you take like pitches from people who are interested in doing this kind of work? Or is is it such a unique kind of work that chances are a random person who wants to get involved in this kind of work is not going to be qualified? And it's a kind of invite-only uh, game that you're running. How does it work when it comes to finding new talent or do you allow people to pitch or what? Yeah, I definitely allow pitches. Honestly, like I don't, a lot of them don't get published. <laughs> I get a lot of, I get a lot of pitches. If you're a comics publisher, there's so many cartoonists out there that are just looking for a publisher. You just get swamped with submissions. And a lot of them are just very sort of low quality people just randomly 
spamming you with whatever work they're doing. And they're probably spamming every other publisher with that. So there's a lot of submissions that are just low quality. But I definitely participate in the comics culture. I go to the festivals. I meet a lot of artists. I, I correspond with a lot of artists. I know, you know, I've been in that sort of space for a long time. And so I find people that way. But, but I'm always interested if someone really has some interesting philosophical comics work that they're interested in doing, they don't really know a space for it. I'm all ears. I'm interested in seeing it because I don't know everything. I don't know everybody. I don't know what people are doing. So it's it's cool to see something come out of the blue that's interesting. I mean, I've published, I've published people that are well-established, but I've also published people who've never had any work published before. So I'm pretty open to sort of new things. All right. Awesome. Good to know. So if anyone out there happens to fit that profile, then it's good to know that they can reach out. This was awesome. This is really interesting to, yeah, peek under the hood of your operation and learn a little more about your kind of substantive ideas. Anything else you were maybe especially excited to make sure we get on the agenda? Because I don't want to keep you too long. I know we only booked about an hour. I feel like that was a healthy tour through a bunch of different interesting questions. Yeah, no, I think we covered everything pretty much. I definitely can, I can go on about this stuff for a long time. Maybe some other time we can do something more visual. Um, that might be cool. But, but yeah, I, yeah, I, totally. Yeah, I think we I think we covered pretty much everything in the kind of the basics. There's a lot I can talk about in terms of some some specific concepts that I'm dealing with beyond just like the beyond just like the beyond comics being a medium that's interesting for philosophy. There's also like specific themes like of nostalgia, utopia, dystopia, apocalypse that I'm trying to deal with, but we don't have to we don't have to necessarily get into too much, too much, too quickly. <laughs> yeah, sure. No, that's great. That would be a great set of themes to discuss maybe in uh, another podcast where we could just focus on that. And we could also bring in some visuals. We could do it through video. I think we're also talking about doing some kind of publishing workshop or discussion inside of Indie Thinker. So there'll be that too. So there's a lot to explore here. Uh, yeah, no. So thanks again for coming on. This was awesome. I thank you for uh, letting me pick your brain and for generously sharing your experiences and some of at least your general ideas on philosophy and comics. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was really fun. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, you should send it to a friend. Just email it to them or post it on your social networks, whatever. And to learn more about what we discussed in this podcast or to send me questions to address in future episodes, please just go to otherlife.co and you'll find everything there. There's actually a ton of cool stuff on there, so check it out if you haven't already. Thanks again, folks. I'll see you here next time.